If you're ready to take your destiny into your own hands, you've come to the right place. This is The Bulletproof Entrepreneur, featuring interviews with the most exciting and amazing entrepreneur. Here's your host, Chi Odogu. Getting your team up to date on the latest skills required for success is hard work, but you don't have to worry about it anymore. Jolt is an online training platform that helps professionals and organizations access up-to-date training from practitioners at the top of their game. No more watching e-learning videos that are not interactive and may contain obsolete information where you access them. Each Jolt training is done live via interactive Skype or webinar and the trainers are both practitioners and thought leaders in your field. So you get the latest information that can change your business at the right time. Visit jolt.us and find out how you can start getting the right training for your team today. That's www.jolt.us. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com. That's www.odogwu.com. And without further ado, on with the show. Hey guys, okay. welcome to the show. I have a great guest on the line today. I'm talking to Mac Pritchard. Mac is a preeminent public relations strategist and the founder of Pritchard Communications and MaxList. MaxList is a leading job portal in Portland, Oregon, and attracts over 100,000 visitors per month and helps job seekers find new jobs in the nonprofit space. There are over 400 job postings listed on MaxList every month. Mac has had a long and distinguished career in a variety of fields ranging from nonprofits, government, media and communications, and the internet. He's also a brilliant podcaster and the host of the Find Your Dream Job podcast, where he helps people by sharing wisdom and advice that helps them find their dream job. So I'm pleased to have him on the show today to talk to us a little bit about his background, his companies, and some advice to help you guys out there that are listening, find your dream job if you haven't found it already. So with that said, Mac, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Chi. That's a very generous introduction, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. Great. So, Mac, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, I, I run two small businesses uh, from Portland, Oregon, as you mentioned, Chi. One of them is a public relations company that works with nonprofits, foundations, and purpose-driven brands. The other is an online community. It's called maxlist.org, and it's for people looking for rewarding creative work, work with purpose. It connects them with employers who offer positions like that, but we also offer a a lot of information, Chi, about how to find work because so many jobs are never posted. We do have a job board, as you mentioned, we're proud of it, uh, but there are estimates out there that as many as eight out of 10 jobs never get posted anywhere. And, and so many people struggle with finding those jobs because it's a skill that many of us learn by trial and error. So both companies um, employ five people and we work from uh, the floor of an office in downtown Portland. And people often say, well, those seem like very different 
operations, but here's what unites them, Chi. I love connecting people um, or connect or helping the pe- whether it's someone uh, who's looking for a job or an employer who needs a talented, creative person. But I also love helping our clients at the public relations company connect with the people that they serve. And, and one of the best ways to do that is uh, helping them tell their stories or teaching them how to tell their stories or build relationships with others. And, and that connection uh, combined with my commitment to service, those have been the two constants in my career. And that, that, that's what drives me and the work we do at these two small businesses. Now, you've said a lot there, Max. So I want to dig in a little bit deeper just to figure out who exactly Mac is, and then we'll dive deep into your business. So I looked at your LinkedIn profile, and I saw that you have degrees from University of Iowa. You're, you have a master's degree from the Harvard Kennedy School. You've worked in government. You've worked in media. You've done public affairs work. So tell us a little bit about your own career trajectory how did you land all these roles starting from young young mac growing up maybe as a teenager and what did you want to do with your life that you you found your way meandering to even working as a legislative director in the office of the governor yeah well i i grew up in the in the american midwest in iowa and one of the many gifts my parents gave me was uh, a strong work ethic my Dad signed me up for a newspaper route. I was delivering newspapers door to door, starting at age nine. Gee, uh, but that work ethic has been a, a big part of who I am. And when I look back at what I wanted to do as a teenager, I, I know I couldn't have said it this clearly. But when I graduated from college at the University of Iowa, I was interested in three things. I, I wanted to write. I wanted to uh, work in electoral politics uh, on campaigns, and I wanted to do human rights advocacy on, uh, in Latin America. And I, I've been fortunate to be able to do all three things uh, uh, in my career. And I, and I mentioned earlier my uh, what an important value service is to me, and it's something I learned from my family uh, and, and in the community where I grew up. Um, and that's been a big driver of my career. Um, it it's, can sound, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it, it can look pretty glamorous, but I, I have to share with you, G, I've had, <laughs> I've been laid off twice. Um, I've had two long periods of unemployment. And part of what drives the work I do at MaxList, helping people find work, is I struggled, uh, especially during that first period of unemployment, in finding my next job. I, I, um, you know, right after college, I, I worked on a U.S. Senate race. I found that position through a newspaper ad. Uh, the second job I had, uh, pitching national and international media for a human rights group based in Washington, D.C. I got that job because I'd done an internship there in college. And the, the third job I had, uh, I worked for an international human rights group based in Boston that took members of Congress on fact-finding trips to Central America, that job I got through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I, when that third uh, job came to an end, the program shut down, I thought, well, this won't be hard to get another job. And, and candidly, I struggled. I was out of work for 10 months. And, wow. and 
Yeah, and it taught me uh, reinforced the value of humility. Mm-hmm. But the experience also taught me the importance of learning how to look for work and uh, help me understand that job hunting is a skill. And if we aren't going to have successful careers, and and most importantly, if we're going to find work with purpose and that brings us um, meaning, we got to get really good at job hunting skills. Mm. And it's funny that job hunting skills, as much as we go to school to learn skills that will help us get a job, the ability to find that job itself is not really taught in a lot of colleges today. You're only maybe told, oh yeah, um, some companies will come for a career fair or you have to go out and find a job. But the skill, like you said, is not really taught. And especially now that you mentioned that 80% of jobs are never listed. So it seems... 80% 80% of the effort is focused on the 20% that is visible while the remaining 80% where all the jobs lie, people have um, little ability to go find those jobs and occupy those roles, except the yeah. few people that know about them. And you've just summarized the problem completely, Chi, which is, is how we spend our time. Most of us, because we don't know any better, may spend 100% of our time looking at job boards. And again, MaxList has a job board. I'm proud of the value it offers both to our employers and our, our readers. But you, you, it's just one um, tool that you use in a job search. You've also got to be clear about your goals, what you want. You've got to get really good at informational interviews, about networking, and about um, playing a leadership role in the field that you're you're working in because. Most jobs are filled by word of mouth, and and it's but that can. Here's the good news: uh, there's no conspiracy here. It's it's human nature that's at work. People hire people they've worked with, or or they know and trust, or they they turn to people that they do trust for recommendations. And sometimes it can be the weakest of ties. It could be someone that you uh, that you met casually, telling you about an opening that has been unadvertised. And giving you the name and the email address of the person you should follow up with, and they, and that person will take a meeting or a phone call with you because you've been passed along by somebody they know and trust, mm. and you're going in through the back door, but it's it's not a it's not a secret door. It's 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 hiding in plain sight. Mm. You just have to know how to find it and and how to make the most of the opportunity when it presents itself. Yeah. Now you mentioned informational interviews and. Uh networking mm-hmm. and i remember coming out of um, grad school we were told to do informational interviews with people alumni from the school as well as networking and mm-hmm. a lot of people seem and i know even people from my grad school currently reach out to me and they seem to get it wrong they just uh, approach you wrong and it just feels like it's kind of like transactional you know so so how is an what is an effective way would i say to a, build up your network, and B, start the conversation and warm up the person you're talking to so that it can lead to something productive in the future. Well, once you have a network or, or as you begin to grow your network, the best way to both to uh, grow it and get the most value out of it is to be of service to others and mm. to give to others without mm. expectation. Mm. Um, because if you 
do that, I've seen this with people who are su- successful in their careers, and I've certainly had this experience too. You get so much more back in return. Now, to your question about informational interviews, I, I do think people struggle with this. And I again, I, I think it's because they haven't had the opportunity to study it or learn how to do it well. Um, quickly, Chi, a, a good informational interview, it has three parts and it takes basically 20 to 30 minutes. And the, the first part of the conversation, you're sitting down with someone, you're introducing yourself, sharing your goals and, and your story. And, and when you do that, people will understand who you are and what you want. And they'll start thinking about ways they can help you. The second thing that happens in a good informational interview, Chi, is that you walk into the room with three to five specific questions. You want to meet with this person because uh, she has some knowledge or relationships or understanding of um, uh, a company that, where you want to work, uh, a field where you, that you want to move into. And you're hoping to get that person's insights to help you in your job search. If you ask smart strategic questions, you're going to create a good impression and they're going to think uh, even better of you. Uh, and the, the third thing you want to do in an informational interview is get specific suggestions about people that uh, you should talk to uh, as, as you do your job search. And often I, I, when I talk to people about how to do this, they say, oh, gosh, why would someone uh, make introductions or give me names? People take these meetings expecting you to do all three of these things. Uh-huh. and. And the final thing that uh, a good informational interview does, and so few people do this, uh, at the end of the conversation, you know, you've, again, you've shared your story, you've asked some smart questions, you've, you've uh, asked for introductions to others. Then you, you say to the person you're meeting with, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. And two things happen when you ask that question. One, it just reinforces that you're a peer of this person and or you have a lot to offer or both. Um, and the second thing that happens is that people are surprised and uh, and impressed because so many of us go into these conversations thinking we have nothing to offer and we've got so much to offer. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because what I think happens is a lot of people do not spend the time to prepare and to research. And I think that's what's yeah. not really taught or not really communicated to job seekers, especially people that are entry level. They just believe once they show up, um, sit down with you for five, 10, 20 minutes. And it's your talk. If you're sitting down with a busy executive for 20 minutes, you can't afford <clears throat> to waste that person's time. You must be on the ball and have everything at your fingertips ready to go. You're absolutely right. And, too many people make that mistake. Uh, and I think it's important to remember this is a business meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we're a college student, we wouldn't walk into an exam without doing our homework. And if we're already in the workplace and we've called the meeting, uh, we're not going to walk in without an agenda and a, and a clear outcome in mind. And why would we uh, not take, why, why would we do something else in an informational interview? Mm-hmm. So now let's direct what you've just said into 
max list mm -hmm. you curated a job list from info informal relationships with your friends you sent out emails to your friend kind of like on the mail list server and then it grew to about a thousand people over an eight-year period correct that's right and then after that you implemented um, a newsletter format and social distribution and it exploded in growth so what i want to know is a what were the pain points you noticed that caused you to start the the max list or the list service and then b how has digital marketing digital media and social affected your business because i'm sure when you started doing this um social media or social media marketing wasn't a big deal at that point so i want to know when the fire was lit with social media how did that transform what you were able to do with max list well i i started the list it was a very informal email that went to two or three dozen people and and this began she back in 2001 what happened that year was this i i'm in oregon uh and i was working in state government at, in the capital which is about 45 miles south of portland and i took a position in portland where i'd always lived and i wanted to stay in touch with my colleagues in in state government uh because i i didn't know that you know, i might come go back there one day so how do you how do you maintain that network um Nobody ever objects to receiving a uh, an email about an open job, particularly a good job. Mm -hmm. And and I I did this uh, because I had learned at that time, um, you know, I'd been in the workforce for twenty plus years. I had learned how important it is to stay connected with your professional network. And I I'd also learned that it's important to serve your network. And so by sending emails with job postings, I was reminding people I was out there, but I, I was also giving them some value. Giving value. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, indirectly, I was solving a problem. Uh, you know, we, it's not like all of us are on that search for a job every day, but we all, I think, uh, enjoy and appreciate receiving uh, news about opportunities in our field. And that, and that's what I did. I started out my, my career has been in communications, and these were largely public relations positions. Mm -hmm. So you're right. Uh, as you mentioned, seven years went by. The list grew very slowly. It was less than 1,000 names. I turned it into a, a weekly newsletter using a, uh, an affordable software program, Constant Contact. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that because the, the way I was putting out the, uh, the information was very labor-intensive, mm -hmm. and and the social media had improved, so I could purchase at a very affordable price um, uh, a package like Constant Contact. But once I, I, I did that, I turned it into a newsletter. That Why did it explode? It was because people could see what they were getting. They mm -hmm. could see the value, and it was easy to sign up. You didn't have to write this mysterious fellow Mac who you had never met to, mm -hmm. with this odd email address. And... Um, the other thing that happened, uh, two years later, we started a website, and it was, by that time, it was fairly, it, it didn't require a big investment of time or money to start a website. That hadn't been the case 10 years before when I began that list. So when it became a website, then suddenly you could find us on Google, 
And um, so that that email that I sent out 16 years ago to a few dozen names, it's now a weekly newsletter yeah. that reaches 25,000 opt-in subscribers. And when did you make the decision to monetize the newsletter or try to get some value out of it? Because I'm sure you were also working at the time and this must have taken some time to compile and to send out every week. Yeah, I know you have so many listeners who are either entrepreneurs or are thinking about starting their own company or side hustle. Mm -hmm. And I would say to them this, um, if you are providing value, you're solving a problem, and even if it's a modest audience, don't be shy about asking people to pay because mm -hmm. they, if, if you're, if, again, if you're providing value, they will. So true. I waited far too long, Chi. Um, I, when I built the website uh, in October of 2010, I sent out one email to our employers who had been sending us postings for jobs, and I explained why we were we were doing it. I was almost apologetic. I said, uh, you know, it, it, this, I'm paying people to do this. I'm, um, I've got to cover my costs. I wasn't even thinking about profit. Um, and the, I'm not going to say the money rolled in in large amounts, but mm -hmm. people who had, we'd been for whom we had been doing this for free started paying us to do it. And when we asked them why they said, well, you're saving me time and you're saving me money because I get fewer applicants when I post with you than I do with the big national boards, mm. but they're the right applicants because you've created an online community and I'm hearing uh, through your website from people who are here locally, who are well-educated and who are uh, accomplished. And those are exactly the kind of candidates we want. And we may get fewer applications, maybe 20 or 25 from you, but they're the right ones. Mm. So, we can pick five or 10 people to interview with other big national sites. We hear from people in all 50 of the United States and we just don't have the budget to fly people out. And, and it takes time to go through five, 600 resumes to find the five or 10 we want to talk to. Hmm. So now I'm just thinking here. So do you have any ambition or aspiration to scale max list to every city outside of uh, Portland, Oregon, or do you still want to keep it small and intimate and tight? Because from what you're telling me, it sounds to me that this, <clears throat> this model that you're using could work in every major city or even every second tier city that has this type of problem, finding quality candidates that are local that will do the work and will also be pre-screened by someone like you, for example. There are tens of thousands of niche job boards out there. That's what mm. we are, Chi, a niche job board. And there's one estimate that there are 40,000 of them in North America. Uh, in our, I'm in one of the 50 states, Oregon. We have about, as you mentioned at the start of the show, about 400, almost 500 now job postings a month. But there are tens of thousands of mm. job postings in Oregon alone. So, um, there's lots of room to grow here. And okay. I think we, when we look at, ahead to the next five years, we want to grow uh, in Washington state and Idaho in, in the Pacific Northwest. But the value we offer is that we are a community uh, where we connect people. And so there's a way to do that, to scale it in, the, in, uh, in this part of the world. Mm. 
We do serve people outside of uh, Oregon through our course, online courses and our book, Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. We also have a podcast that you mentioned, and this has been surprising for us, G. Um, 85% of our downloads for our podcast uh, are, are from outside of uh, uh, the state where we're based. Wow. And yeah, and I would, I, I think what's happening is, um, you know, where we provide content that is valuable no matter where you live, whether yeah. it's the United States or even overseas, uh, 15% of our downloads come from outside the United States. So I, the, the podcast has helped us grow a, a national and even a something of a of a global audience. Uh, the job board uh, attracts uh, largely people in Oregon and Southwest Washington, and and what that tells me is it depends on the value of the content you you offer. If it's hyper local, like a job listing, it's going to attract people uh, just in that market. But the job hunting advice and the career management advice we offer, you can use anywhere, whether you're in America or Australia or Africa. Mm. And and the market's responding accordingly. Yeah. And it's probably the same for the hidden job market as we talked about earlier. So what I want to know is a lot of people believe that the hidden job market, I know you dispelled the myth that nobody's against you, but there's still this mental block in people's minds thinking that mm-hmm. the hidden job market is basically old boys club or alumni sure. network or nepotism where people want their family members or extended family members to come and join them. So so how can someone that is still looking for a job early in their career or even mid-career thinking of switching to something start to decode and decipher the puzzle of cracking and tapping into the hidden job market well i i'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, this point because there are biases in hiring uh, whether a position is publicly uh, posted publicly or whether it's filled by word of mouth i mean people don't get jobs because of their gender because of their age because of their race uh, because of their accent these are all these are real problems mm-hmm. and there's there's no doubt about it um, but, uh, and so you, you've got to certainly have to be aware of that, acknowledge it and, and figure out, uh, um, how to deal with it. But what I'm talking about, uh, are, are jobs that never get posted, not because, um, uh, because of ageism and hiring or, or because of race, but they just because, um, people, uh, again, are turning to their networks. And so our challenge when we're job seekers is if we know where we want to go, and, and that's something you really need to be clear about, but once you figure that out, if you know where you want to go, you have to get into the networks of the people who are making the hiring decisions. Mm-hmm. And if you and, and they are having conversations about hiring, uh, and if you insert yourself into those conversations, you increase the odds that you will get an offer. Um, if a job is never posted and those conversations are taking place and you're not part of them, I guarantee you, you'll never get an offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the factors, the problems you raise are real. Uh, and, and sometimes you can't overcome them even when you're part of those word of mouth conversations about hiring, but you gotta, you gotta get into the dialogue. Um, if, if you're going to have a shot. Mm. I know another 
factor in terms of finding a new job is that people are always looking around looking to move from one city or one state to another and i know you've moved a couple times from portland to boston mm-hmm. back to portland again so somebody that's an outsider outside the state outside the city for example and they're looking to move to a new city to find a yeah. new job but they don't know what the internal culture of the new company they're looking at or they're targeting is and sometimes the culture is what determines your happiness on the job yeah. it's not necessarily the money or the perks it's usually how you're going to feel with your co-workers when you're working nine hours ten hours whatever many mm-hmm. hours so how can someone out there looking in start to do some research and figure out how the internal culture of a company they're looking at from afar is without being on ground and on site well there are a couple ways you can do it and and it's a it's a big challenge um, first you have to know the companies or the field you want to work in and let's say it's in another city across the country uh, you can st- once you know where you want to go then you have to identify people inside that company and there are so many ways to do that today. Chi, I mean, you can go on LinkedIn and see who in your LinkedIn network works inside that, uh, works with that employer. You mentioned university alumni databases uh, earlier. I'm, I'm a big believer in using alumni databases. Uh, I, you know, I, I went to two great universities, the University of Iowa and a graduate school at Harvard, at Harvard, they teach us to use the alumni network, uh, and there's nothing particularly secret about what they're teaching us, uh, but I, uh, as a result, I get calls from Harvard graduates all the time who want to have informational interviews, who want to find out how to move to Portland, who want to learn what the culture is like here. I, I never get calls from Iowa grads, and um, yeah, and I, I'm not knocking Iowa because there are a lot of scary, bright, and accomplished people who graduate from there. But they, we just didn't master networking when uh, we weren't taught it when, uh, when I was in college there. So my, my point is this. If you, you want to uh, you know, use, find, know where you want to go, look at your networks, uh, LinkedIn, alumni databases, but you have other interests. Every, all of us do. It might be we're involved in a professional association, um, maybe uh, a sports league that has chapters or uh, representatives in the city where we want to meet, want to move rather. And then um, start talking to people who are in the companies uh, and it, where you want to work. And it's not about asking them for a job. Again, it's go back to that three-part structure I, I laid out for an informational interview. You're, you're trying to, because you have to grow a network and, and you can do it through those conversations. And as you do that, people, uh, you will impress people, you'll become part of their network, and you will also have a chance to ask questions about the company's culture, what hiring managers look for there, what it's like to work there. And that'll give you amazing insights that will make you a, a great candidate because people will start to tell you uh, about opportunities at that company, and they'll start to think about you uh, for them. And and again, these may be jobs that will never be posted. 
and you will find out about them through those kinds of conversations. And now for those in the mid-career, I know one mm -hmm. big thing is if you're currently working for a company, you don't want that company to know that you're out there looking for another job just because it could have a bad look on you while you're working at the company. So Absolutely. So yeah. how can people in their career looking to transition execute a perfect or intelligent stealth job search that will not um, bring some negative feedback or negative attention to them while they're on the job? Well, the couple of things to consider. One, you want to make... Once you know where you want to go or what opportunities you want to pursue, start having conversations with people at the company where you want to go. Um, uh, and how do you do this without your employer knowing about it? Uh, you, you know, you can have these uh, meetings during your lunch hour or after work. Um, you probably need to pay attention to your online profile. Uh, it's not the best of ideas to update your. Uh, do a complete overhaul of your LinkedIn page in one day that might attract attention. Mm -hmm. But gee, you should be paying attention to your LinkedIn profile even when you're not looking for work. Um, you should make sure it's always up to date because if you're not job seeking, you're working somewhere where you're an employee uh, or a manager and your clients are going to be looking at your page and you want to always have your best foot forward professionally, whether you're job hunting or you're, you're currently happy in your position and, and don't plan on making a change. Um, and you can cert, you know, I think a lot of people believe that when they look for work, it's got to become a full-time job and they've got to send out hundreds of resumes mm -hmm. or, and that's, that is not only, an exhausting strategy. It's not a very effective one. Mm. So if uh, you know, you need to think strategically about your next move. Whether uh, you're doing this on the QT or you know your position. I'm sorry, you're doing it um, without your boss's knowledge. Or no, you can say QT download. Okay. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's, it's my Midwestern formality, G. No, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, you, you need you need you, to you don't want to apply everywhere. Uh, using a spray and pray approach is not going to be effective. And uh, so that means if you're, you, you need to focus on a few opportunities and have strategic conversations with a handful of people. Uh, and you can do that without attracting the attention of your boss. And obviously, you know, as, as professionals, we don't do this during office hours because mm -hmm. when we're at the office, we're paid by our employees, employers rather, to, to do work. Uh, so we do it on, on our lunch hour or on evenings and weekends. Um, and if you're doing it in a strategic, thoughtful way, that, that's plenty of time to make it happen. Hmm. And I've also heard that it's good to use LinkedIn as a thought leadership platform that you as yeah. an individual, you need to start publishing posts or sharing other people's posts and making comments so that you start to get that visibility that people start knowing you and who knows um, good things could come of it or people just start to know you as somebody that's always putting something positive into the community. Now, in your opinion, does that have a high ROI in the long term? 
It does, and it's also good for your employer. Uh, and and smart employers uh, appreciate that and value it. Uh, it benefits you professionally because when you share articles in your field or you create your own content, your own pieces, and you publish them on LinkedIn or maybe you use another platform like Medium, uh, it, people will see you as a leader in your field. They will also appreciate you sharing ideas, whether they're your own or perhaps helpful articles. And it keeps you on people's radar screens. It's, it's not unlike my strategy you know, uh, 16 years ago, sending out job postings. I was trying to remind people that I was out there, mm. but I was also trying to provide value. And you can do that with uh, uh, employment opportunities or you can do it with good ideas. Uh, but it, the point is you want people to know you're out there and you want to be of service to your community. Mm. Now, Mac, looking into the future, I see a lot of things that could affect a lot of people. Elon Musk came on TV a couple of days ago and said, oh, that in the next five years, AI is going to wipe out 20% of jobs in the United States. So with all these things going on in terms of technological shifts and shakeups, what can people start doing today to make themselves um, better equipped to handle the challenges of the future? It's a great question uh, because change is constant, Gee, as, as you know, and I'm ancient enough, I'm almost 60, that I can remember walking into a, a, an office in the United States in the late 70s and early 80s. It looked so different than an office here today. You know, there was a, a switchboard operator. There were people whose jobs it was in those days just to operate the, the, uh, the copy machine. Um, there were people who were paid to sit in a, a typing pool and take, uh, listen to recordings uh, of dictation and transcribe it into, uh, into typewritten pages. All of those jobs and more are gone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are jobs when you and I walk into offices today that are, won't exist in 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and the, People, so the change is, is constant. It's, it's always been there. We can go back and you know, look at history from the 18th and 19th century at the start of the Industrial Revolution. Um, so how do, you, how do you manage that? Uh, you've got to be a lifelong learner. And you, you have to learn new skills. And, and it, it, it changes hard. It's painful. And sometimes those transitions are wrenching. Uh, but the better, the more we learn and the more skills we, we acquire as, as we do that, the more successful we'll be in, in managing that change. Mm. And one thing I also know is that in addition to getting your hard skills up, you also need to have your soft skills on point. So basically the hard skills will probably get you hired, but the soft skills keep you on the job and let you be able to transition and find new opportunities. So I know that from people reaching out to me, especially people that are graduating from my former grad school, they seem to get it wrong. They don't have that soft skill, that poise and that, um, what I say, the ability to make that human connection and that human contact, you know, with a stranger, kind of like we are doing on this podcast. You know, I know you talk to guests on your show 
and I talk to guests on my show. And you know, the art of podcasting is the art of communication, being able to form a rapport with somebody. So, what are some of the best soft skills you you think young people need to develop and enhance, given that things are going to be much more challenging going forward? I think that uh, the ability to listen is is vital, and it, you you've got to um, be and because it helps you understand what the priorities and the needs of others. It also makes you a better listener, and it will make you more successful in your job. It will also whether that's you're in an entry level position or a management or or leadership uh, job. So I, I think that's the most important. Uh, I think being able to understand people and uh, empathy and compassion are, are qualities that, that matter a lot. Uh, you can, we can improve our emotional intelligence. It's, it's like uh, any skill, whether it's you know, soccer or a musical instrument or looking for a job. It, it takes study and uh, deliberate practice and, and time, but I, I think you're spot on here, Chi. We we all have to be good at it because uh, these routinized mechanical tasks, um, some of them will always be there, but more and more of them are being automated. And so, what? And, and if we, if we're going to be successful in our work and find work we enjoy and, and that has purpose, we've got to be good at at, at soft skills too. And as we transition from Maclis and as we start to wind down the show, I want to ask you one question concerning Pritchard Communications. Now, mm-hmm. you also run a PR firm, and I know public relations is one of the tractions of growth. So could you tell us a little bit about how you help your clients get that um, much-needed exposure in order to help them? Because I know you work with um, nonprofits and foundations, right? And I know most of, most of them need donors to help them finance their projects. So what are some ways that you're helping your clients to reach donors and to get those donations in so that they can perform up the optimal level? You're, you're right. Uh, for Particularly for our nonprofit and foundation clients, donations are an important outcome. Um, the other two outcomes that typically our clients need help with besides new revenue or returning revenue uh, is growing their audience, whether this is membership uh, uh, or attracting people to websites or getting people to events. And the third thing they need help with typically Chi is, is some kind of policy change. We, Mm. uh, whether it's a change in a a public rule or or law or, or regulation and what, uh, what we really enjoy doing at our firm is helping our clients focus on the outcome that they want, whether it's a policy change, a growth in audience, or new or returning source of revenue. And then once we know what that outcome is, then we can build a communications program that will help them get that outcome. Too many uh, organizations go straight to the strategy or, or the tactic. They say, oh, I need a brochure or we should have a billboard or uh, I think we should have a, uh, you know, we, we, we should start a podcast. And what we 
help our clients do is figure out again what is of the what is the outcome they want, and then we show them how communications can help them make that happen. Um, an example of how we've done that: we had a nonprofit client uh, that works nationally on juvenile justice reform projects, and they wanted to get um, support from new foundations and public agencies for the work they were doing. They didn't have a relationship with these people, but they knew who they were. And these were decision makers at public agencies and foundations. So we helped our client uh, grow their blog and build a, a newsletter list. And we made the blog, uh, we created content for the blog that was valuable to people in the juvenile justice reform field. And we drove people to that blog through a weekly newsletter. And we made sure to work with our client to identify the, there were about 100, 100, 150 people they particularly wanted to reach who were key decision makers. We made sure that those 100, 150 people were on the newsletter so that they would see, get news about this content. And they became regular visitors to the to the blog, um, and, the, and and we we didn't limit it just to the key decision makers. We would serve the field as well, and eventually that website went from having a few hundred visitors every month to twenty thousand visitors a month. But here's the result that our client wanted: um, they got they eventually persuaded those decision makers. There was one federal agency and three foundations to give them several million dollars in new uh, grants. And did the blog and the communications program alone make that happen? No, you know, the the client also had to meet with these people personally and uh, make proposals. But we, but the online communications with that strategic focus and that valuable content helped build a relationship that led that those organizations to know, like, and eventually trust our, our client. Yeah. Nice. And as we start to wind up, Mac, I have a couple of wrapping up questions for you just to get your thoughts on some things before I let you go. So what's the most frustrating thing about being an entrepreneur in your opinion? I think just fighting my own tendency to want to get involved in everything <laughs> and having too many good ideas. <laughs> So I, I work on both in this way. I've, I've found two very good uh, people who each run the day-to-day operations of, of my two firms, and I bite my tongue when I, I um, have great ideas while they're talking because I, I, if I listen, I discover that they, they have, their ideas are just as good and often uh, better. And, and then the second thing I do is when I have all those great ideas, I, I carry a book around in my pocket, uh, one of those moleskin uh, notebooks, and I just write them down. And so they're there, and occasionally I take it out, and uh, and we do act on some of them. But I don't have to chase every shiny object. <laughs> yeah, that's the curse of every entrepreneur, right? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 your laugh indicates to me that maybe you're identifying with oh, what yes. I'm saying. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I do indeed. And uh, what are some books you would recommend for people to read and improve their skills and improve themselves? Well, two of my favorites on the business side are um, 
uh, Keith Ferenczi's Never Eat Lunch Alone Again. Mm-hmm. It's a great book about networking. It's about 10 years old now, but it uh, uh, has very good practical advice about how to build relationships professionally, how to get the most out of a conference. He's a good writer. Um, the second book on the business side I'd recommend is uh, The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, it's it's an old book again from the 1990s, but it's uh, it, it was written by a university professor in Georgia who uh, did research about the spending habits of American millionaires in the 80s and 90s and discovered that uh, they don't live extravagant lives. They typically are, are business owners who pay careful attention to how they spend money and live modestly and and um, and by doing so, they build up impressive net worths, especially compared to people who have much fancier cars and bigger houses, but uh, no real net worth. Mm. And if you could go back in time to change something, what, knowing what you know now, what would you go and change? I, I think uh, just uh, telling myself that uh, uh, you, there are so many skills that you can master with. You, you can learn how to do almost anything uh, with enough time and effort. And there was a time in my teens and 20s, she, when I thought, oh, you had to have this innate ability to, say, be a, a newspaper reporter, which was a, uh, a goal of mine in, my, in grade school that I decided I, I w- really wasn't cut out for in my 20s. And mm-hmm. And now I see, well, that, that's a bunch of hooey. There were all sorts of things I could have done requiring lots and lots of hard work uh, to have pursued that dream. Um, and I'm reminded of a third book, uh, Carol Dweck's Mindset, which is all about this, uh, uh, this idea that, you know, we're, there, uh, that you, you, you can learn how to do new things. Talent is something that it's like a muscle it requires exercise um, in a deliberate way, but you can, uh, it, through regular application and practice, you can get good at a lot of different things. Great. But it uh, takes time. And with that said, we've reached the uh, end of the interview. So, Mac, where can people find you and learn more about you and what you're doing? Well, as I mentioned, we have a new book out called Land Your Dream Job Anywhere. And uh, many of the all the job hunting principles and ideas that you and I talked about can be found in that book. Mm-hmm. We have a free chapter of it available to your readers. Um, just go to maxlist.org slash bulletproof and we've got a special landing page set up. Right. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and yeah, you're welcome. And, and they can also check out our podcast. Gee, uh, just go to iTunes. It's called Find Your Dream Job. And we, uh, if you want to learn more about Pritchard Communications, go to PritchardCommunications.com. Great. And it's a pleasure having you on the show, Mac, to talk and share your experience and your words of wisdom. I really enjoyed the conversation we've had today. And I wish you continued success in both your endeavors, MacList, as well as uh, Pritchard Communications. So any last words for the listeners out there before I let you go? I I appreciate you doing this show. I had a chance to listen to several episodes before uh, uh, this conversation, and I'm impressed by 
uh, the good work you're doing and the quality of information. Uh, and and I, I, it's a real service. So thank you for doing that, G. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to listen to today's episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. As always, you can find more episodes and more information about the show that you just listened on our website, odogwu.com. And whatever you're doing, I hope you have a profitable and pleasurable day. Cheers, guys. Bye. Don't let another minute go by without taking action to change your life. Visit Ordeshi.com right now for more incredible resources. And we'll see you next time on Ordeshi, the Bulletproof Entrepreneur.